Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. How many ready for the Word of God today? I've been in a message series called Weapons for five weeks. Today is week five, and I've been in this series called Weapons because every single day of your life is a spiritual battle. Every moment, every hour, every second, you are in a spiritual battle. And so week one, we talked about the weapons of weakness. In week two, we talked about the weapon of God's word. In week three, we talked about the weapon of confidence. Last week, we looked at the weapon of prayer. How many of you have listened to all four of those messages so far? All right, you're my people. Today is part two, part B of prayer. And I want to look at the weapon of prayer again. As men and women of God, we need to not only know what weapons are in our arsenals, but how to use those weapons. And the fact is, is that the enemy of God is also the enemy of your soul. We have an enemy. The Bible talks about it time and time again. The devil has one intention, one intention, one purpose, one mission for your life, and that is to destroy it. Okay. This is not make-believe. This is, there is a devil, there are demons, and they are always at work. They are trying to destroy your life. Everything about it. There is no break from it. It is going on nonstop, all the time, all day, every day. There is a spiritual attack on your life. That's why Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He said the thief, he's talking about the devil. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, but I've come that there might be life and life to the full. See, the devil wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. The devil wants to steal your purpose. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your health. He wants to steal your mental health. He wants to steal your hope. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be alert and of sober mind. I want you to read this out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The devil is on the hunt. And he doesn't stop. There's no timeouts in this game. He is on the hunt and he is looking, actively looking for someone that he can take down. You know what? There is a something called a Satan con going on right now in Scottsdale, Arizona. Did you know that? It's where Satanists have come from all over the nation and they have come in to hold a conference until tomorrow, until Monday in Scottsdale, Arizona. And this is kind of their revenge, they said. This is revenge against Scottsdale, the city of Scottsdale, for not allowing them to do a satanic invocation for the city of Scottsdale. So they've been quoted by saying, we're going to take revenge and we want Scottsdale to become known as a satanic city. Listen, this is what they quoted. We want Scottsdale to become known for Satanism. You know what I say? Over my dead mother freaking body, will that happen? Because Impact Church is here to promote the power of Jesus Christ. And we're bringing Jesus to this city. We're bringing God's love to this city. We're bringing healing and hope and purity to this city. This whole demonic thing doesn't surprise me. Does it you? Like, it doesn't surprise me because when Jesus is moving like he is in the city of Scottsdale, see, evil darkness is always trying to put out the light, always trying to put out the light. Now, I don't know about you, but none of this 
none of this terrifies me, not in the least. Like, I'm not afraid. They're over there casting spells, and they're all, you know, doing all their weird, you know, demonic stuff. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe today you are here, you're a Satanist, and you came to this thing, and you came to church just to maybe cast a spell on us or something. I just want to tell you, if you're a Satanist, I just want to say welcome to Impact Church, and we love you. And it's been a while since I cast devil out, but I'm happy to do it today and set you free in Jesus' name because Jesus is the true power. Jesus is the real power. Jesus is the only power. And Jesus will be as he always has been victorious. Come on, Impact Church. We serve a God who's bigger than all the hell put together. We serve a living Savior who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Come on, Impact Church. We serve a God where Jesus says who the sun sets free is free indeed. We serve a God who says I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And we serve a God in 1 John 4, 4 who says greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Let's give him some praise today. The devil is always working, but if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, it don't matter what, there are no spells. You can do whatever you want and, and like, I got Jesus living in me. Like you, you're un, listen, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're untouchable. You're untouchable. You can't be touched. You have the power and the protection and the presence of God Almighty. But the devil is always on the prowl. In fact, Jesus told Peter one time, his closest, one of his closest disciples, it was his inner circle. And he told Peter, he said, Peter, you need to, you need to wake up, boy. You need to pay attention because he said, the devil, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to sift you like wheat. See, when you're a child of God, here's the thing. When you're a child of the Most High, you pose a threat to the devil's plan. And so because of that threat, he's going to try to attack. He's going to try, but you're covered. You, you have to study the Old Testament. You have to study even the Passover. This goes all the way back. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. You are covered and you are protected. But we need to be people of prayer. Big time prayer. That's why I'm preaching two back-to-back -back weeks on prayer. Last week we looked at praying every day of your life. You pray for God's peace. You pray for God's provision. And you pray for God's protection on your life. And today I want to give you just two more. And so before I do... I'm going to pray. If you'll pray with me, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, that it is good. We pray that you change us, that you challenge us. God, that you also comfort us. God, give us hope. Give us joy and peace and purpose and faith. Build our faith. Grow our faith. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. amen. Let's give one more round of applause to our worship team. Peace, provision, protection. Number four, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that I need to pray for God's power. I need to pray for God's power. God is omnipotent. What that means is that God is all-powerful. There is nothing. There is nobody. There is nothing and nobody more powerful than God Almighty. That's why Jeremiah said in chapter 20, uh, 32 of 27, he said, I am the Lord God of all people. And he said, nothing is too difficult for me. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for God. Now, one thing I have noticed about the world that we live in is that the world is power happy. The world wants power. People want power. Nations want power. The world is chasing power. The problem is they don't understand where true power actually comes from. They don't understand what true power even is. True power, life-changing, explosive power comes from God and only from God. Some of you can testify to this today because you've chased a lot of things in life. 
You've gone after a lot of different things in life to help you, to give you peace, to give you purpose. And you've come up short until you discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you realize what true power is. Now, for the last five Sundays in a row, I've started off with two scriptures, and I'm going to do the same thing today. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Let's read it out loud together. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. That's what the power is for. The purpose of God's power. We have divine power. We have weapons. One is prayer. It's God's power. It's access through the power of prayer. It is for the purpose of demolishing strongholds. God's power can demolish addiction. God's power can demolish depression. God's power can free you from your guilt and from your shame. God's power can deliver you from your fears. God's power can resurrect your marriage from the dead. See, God's power is about demolishing strongholds. Those things that try to creep their way into our lives and take root and take us down. Our weapon through prayer is divine power. My single most favorite verse in the entire Bible is Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. We read this last week. I'm going to read it again. This is my number one favorite verse. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish what? Infinitely more than we might ask or think. Impact Church, I have a question. If God is able to do infinitely more than anything I can ask him for, don't you think we ought to start asking? We ought to start believing? We ought to start praying? Look at somebody good looking right now. Find somebody around you that's super hot. Look at somebody good looking right now. And I want you to tell them the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. Now find someone else that you didn't think was good looking. You looked them off. Look at somebody different. You looked them over the first time. And tell them the same thing. The power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. I don't know if you remember the conversation that Jesus and Peter had the night before Jesus was crucified. The night, one day before the crucifixion, Jesus goes to Peter and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Three times, Peter, you're going to disown me. You remember this conversation? And Peter goes, Jesus, I would never deny you. Jesus, I would never disown you. Jesus, that will never happen. In fact, if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will die with you before the rooster crows. Next day. (laughs) Jesus gets arrested and he's taken away. And the Bible says Peter's following along in the distance and he's watching what is happening. And then all of a sudden this girl comes up to him and she says, Peter, you're with that dude, right? You're with Jesus. And what does Peter say? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Second girl comes up to Peter and says, this is the dude that was with Jesus. I've seen him with him. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter says, I do not know the man. And then a third person comes up and says, bro, you are lying. You were with Jesus. Peter loses his mind. He starts screaming and yelling and cursing and swearing. I do not know the man. Listen, you can throw a fit and you can scream a lie as loud as you want, but it doesn't make it any more true. And then Peter hears the rooster crow. And the Bible says he breaks down and he weeps bitterly. Why did Peter deny Christ? One word. Fear. Fear. 
Peter denied knowing Christ, being associated with Christ because of fear. He feared for his life. Did Peter love Jesus? He loved Jesus. But listen, this is important. His fear was greater than his love. And see, that's a lot of people in this church today. That's a lot of Christians in this world today. You have to ask yourself, what in my life do I have that is stronger than my love for God? What is it in my life that's stronger than the love I have for Jesus Christ? See, there's a lot of people. They love God, but they're controlled by something else. They love God, but they're controlled by fear. They're controlled by lust. They're controlled by greed. They're controlled by their addictions or their insecurities or their guilt or shame or their bitterness. Listen, here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is facts that whatever you let control you is what actually has the power over your life. It's interesting because Peter did love Jesus. He left everything to follow Jesus. He walked with him. He talked with him. He was around him all the time. He watched Jesus do miracles, yet he denies knowing Jesus three times. But you know, something was changing in Peter. Something was developing inside of Peter. Something was growing inside of Peter. Because in the coming days, everything was going to change. His perspective was going to completely change. The following day, from the night where he says, Jesus, I'll never deny you, to all of a sudden, Jesus is being crucified, and I don't know that guy. I'm not with him. But something starts to change. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 1 because this is so cool. It's crazy. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After Jesus is suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, it says he appeared to over 500 people at one time. In verse 4, it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. He said, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. The power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. Then you jump down to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is what the Bible says. Acts 1, 8, the words of Jesus. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the Greek word for power is dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive explosive power. See, a change is taking place in Peter because Peter had walked around with Jesus. He had been next to Jesus. He had been right by Jesus. But now Jesus was about to be inside of Peter. And that's the difference. The power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. This is why it matters to you. Because some of y'all, you know a lot about Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Some of you go to church every week. That doesn't get you into heaven. You're like, I go to Impact Church. Nothing, that does not, there's nowhere in the Bible, in the book, book of Hallucinations, chapter 1, if you go to Impact Church, you go to heaven. None of it is in there. Second Manifestations, it's not in there either. It's not there. Third Manipulations, it's not there either. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now we're seeing this change where Jesus was a 
around Peter, and Peter was around Jesus, but now Jesus is leaving earth, and he says, I'm leaving you a promise. The promise is my Holy Spirit. I'm leaving you a gift. The gift is my Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, but I'm not really leaving. I'm still actually going to be here, and I'm actually going to be more powerful inside of you than I was next to you, and this is what he's telling you and me today. So now let's move on. Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the early church, by the way, the first Christian church. In Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. Somebody say Pentecost. 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 Now, I know we're a church of a a lot of different backgrounds and people, and we got people that this is the first church you've ever really attended. And I always love hearing that story. And then we've got people that came from Baptist churches, and you got people that came from white Baptist churches, and you got people that came from black Baptist churches, two entirely different Baptist environments. I will tell you right now, they are not the same. And you got people that came from Lutheran churches and maybe from Methodist churches, and you got people that came from the Catholic churches. Any recovering Catholics in here today? You came from Catholic churches. We might have a few from satanic churches. We want to welcome you today and invite you to the... This is what I'm saying, is that this word Pentecost, because we have Pentecostal churches, and I want to just make sure we're clear on what Pentecost means. Penta means five. Oh, I hate math, and I know that. Five. Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection. On the day of Pentecost. Now, we went from Acts 1 where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to send the gift of the promise of the Father. In Acts 1 to Acts 2, we just advanced. We just advanced down the road. We already know that Jesus had appeared to many for 40 days. So probably between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, 9 to 10 days, perhaps 11 days from when Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift. Don't leave Jerusalem until you see the gift. Now let's dig into this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, verse 4, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, listen, I've been born and raised in Pentecostal circles. In modern day Pentecostal circles, this is where church folk just speaking in tongues the whole time. And I want to tell you that it is a real gift of God. It is real. It is real. If you've never experienced it, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. That is just one of them. There are nine of them, like the gift of healing and the gift of prophecy and the gift of faith and the gift of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. One of those is speaking in tongues. These brothers and sisters start speaking in a language that's not their own language. Tell me that's not ridiculous right there. Like if God could make you right now speak in another language, wouldn't that be dope? Like I've never really taken Russian, but all of a sudden I know Russian. Right? That would be cool. And so on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament, it was the... The, the, the day of the feast, the harvest, the feast of harvest. In the Old Testament, they still celebrated this particular day. And it was a celebration where people came from every nation and they celebrated the incoming harvest that was about to take place. So here you are in the day of Pentecost in downtown Jerusalem. 120 people are in the upper room waiting on some gift God said he was going to give. They don't even know what it is really, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. And all of a sudden it looks like tongues of fire are above everybody's head and they start speaking in a different language that's not their own. And passerbys, hundreds of thousands of people are walking by and they're like, yo, that 
is crazy. Like, what is going on? These brothers must be drunk, is what they said. Acts chapter 2. This is where it really gets lit. Peter, on that comment, on that comment, hey, they must be, they've had too much wine. On that comment, the Bible says, Peter stands up in front of everyone and he raises his voice and he starts preaching fire from heaven. What? 51 days before this, Peter is fearfully and pitifully denying Christ. 51 days later, he's got the boldness and the courage of a lion. And in Acts chapter 2, what's the difference? The Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. The power of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, after the infilling, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he raises his voice and he preaches Christ's death and his resurrection. No, we are not drunk as you suppose or as you think. He says, first of all, it's only 9 a.m. and we only get drunk at night. Nah, that's not what's going on. He said, this is what's prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Joel. He said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all men. And then Peter starts bringing all the smoke. And he says, God love you so much that he sent his one and only son. And you murdered him. You crucified him. You killed Jesus. But I stood up to tell you that death could not keep its grip on my Savior because he has resurrected from the dead and Jesus is alive. Then he goes on to say, each of you, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you, yes, you you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. Even though you're the one that murdered him, God's still going to give you his gift. And then he goes, check it out. He goes, this promise is to you and it's to your children and it's to those far away in Scottsdale, Arizona 2,000 years from now and to all who've been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, eclipsing the length of time that P.T. has ever preached in his whole life, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, those who believed Peter and were baptized and added to the church that day were about 3,000 in all. Listen, what is crazy is what made the difference. I don't know him because I'm afraid. Baptized of the Holy Spirit. Not only do I know him, you need to know him. And I'm willing to give my life up for you to know him. Did you know that Peter ended up being crucified for his love for Jesus Christ? And the Bible scholars say that he was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner of his Savior. What changed is the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. I know some of y'all are afraid of it. You're afraid of it. You're afraid of God's power. But when you become open to it, you'll never experience the power of God in your life as when God fills you with his Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit's the difference. That's why I pray for God's power. I'm praying for your power. God, I'm praying for your power. I need it in my life every day, every hour, every moment. I need your power in my life. I need your power in my marriage. I need your power in my babies. I need your power in my church and in my church people. I need your power, God, in their relationships and in their finances and in their health and in their mental health. God, I need your power. So we pray for God's power every single day. Number five, the fifth thing you need to pray for. Is for God's purpose. His purpose. Now it says this in Jeremiah 29 11. You're probably familiar with this verse. 
If not, welcome to church. Because this is a pretty common verse. It says, for I know the, this is God talking. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Let's read it out loud together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now there's a lot of bad theology that they read this verse and they're like, see, God wants me to be wealthy. Wants me to have a lot of bread in the bread basket. Prosperity is so much bigger than money, isn't it? I would rather be prosperous in God's peace and prosperous with God's presence than having money or possessions. So prosperity, this is not about money. There's, there's nothing about, it's like, hey, if you love Jesus, you're going to be rich. You're not. I mean, you might be, but it has nothing to do with because God, you know, he's just prosperous. I'm hanging on to this. So, so, so you have to understand what he's talking about. Prosperity is so much bigger. It's so much wider. It's so much higher. It's so much deeper than what money can buy us. Because if you said, PT, hey, I'll give you $5 million or I'm going to give you permanent peace of God in your life. I'm taking peace every single time. Every time. Because money cannot buy peace. And money cannot buy purpose. And money certainly cannot buy the presence of God. See, God has a best for your life. Never settle for less than God's best. Will you say that to somebody right now? Never settle for less than God's best. Now, if you're single, would you raise your hand? Single like a prangle? So, listen, 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 listen. For all you single people, God has a best for your life. Satan, the enemy of our soul, who's on the prowl, has a counterfeit best for your life. Satan can't create anything. He can only counterfeit. He can only twist. He can only manipulate things. And he knows that if you latch your life onto God's best for your life, then it makes his plan for your life almost impossible. So God has a best for your life. Satan has a counterfeit best for your life. Never settle for less than God's best. Now, it's easy to do. It's easy to settle. It is easy to settle for less than God's best because we get caught living in the moment. We get caught living our lives zoomed in instead of zoomed out. We lose perspective. We have good intentions and poor attention. And it's easy, it's easy to settle for less than God's best. So I want you to keep this at the forefront of your mind, not just right now, but every day, is this God's best for me? Is this God's best for me? Is this God's best for me? Because God has a best. When you, when you teach basketball to young athletes, you teach them, hey, there are, there are good shots, there are great shots, and then there are the best shots. There's good shots. Can you make that? Yes, you can probably make that. But there's better shots, higher percentage shots. The closer you get to the basket, the higher the percentage goes up. Okay? And then there's the best shots. What is the best shot? See, for your life, there's good, there's great, and there's the best. The best is the only one that God wants for you. This is important. Somebody need to hear this today because somebody in here, you are settling for less than God's best. Somebody in here, you might be settling for a person that is not God's best for your life. Some of you might be settling certain job or a certain career but it's not God's best for your life. You might be settling your own standard of living. It's not God's best. Why do we settle? Why do we settle? We settle for a variety of reasons. I get impatient. 
impatience, so I settle. I get lonely, so I settle. I don't think I deserve better, so I settle. We get desperate, so we settle. Let me throw a fact at you. Settling for less than God's best rewrites your entire destiny. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Settling for less than God's best, it rewrites your entire destiny. Do you remember the story of the two brothers in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau? Who remembers that? Say, I remember. I remember. Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twin brothers. Born at the same time, almost. Esau came out first. He came out first. Jacob, Jakey Jakes came out second. You know what that meant? It meant that Esau got the blessing and the birthright of his father. This is what this actually means, is that he would get his father's inheritance because he was born first. That was the law back then. Firstborn gets the blessing and the birthright of the father. His inheritance, his house, his real estate, his livestock, his money. And one day, the Bible says Esau's out in the field and he's working. And he comes home and he's hungry. And his brother Jacob had just made his signature stew. And Esau's like, Jake, I'm starving. I'm hungry. Can I have a bowl of that signature Jacob stew? And Jacob's like, Esau, my brother, how about we play a game called let's make a deal? And he says, I will give you a bowl of stew if you give me your birthright. Now, Without even thinking past this, how many know that's a really stupid deal to make? Raise your hand. You know that's stupid right there. That's, that is the dumbest deal on the planet. Okay? It's stupid. But Esau is in the moment. He's zoomed in and he's not zoomed out. He is not being proactive here. He's being reactive here. Esau was not seeing straight. He was, he had that ghetto boy song in his head. My mind's playing tricks on me. Like, this sounds like a good idea. I don't know, is it a good idea? Yeah, man, I'm hungry. This is a good idea. And he agrees to the deal, and it literally rewrote the destiny for his life. Never trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of pain. Never trade a moment of pleasure that'll cost you your life's purpose. I think it's ironic in this story that it says Esau traded his birthright away because he was hungry. He was hungry. I think it's ironic because we all get hungry and thirsty. Some people are starving for attention. Some people are starving for lust. Some people are starving for money. Some people are starving for power. Listen, I'll tell you this. If you get hungry enough, you'll trade your life away. You will trade your life away. Jesus talked about hunger and thirst in Matthew 5, verse 6, and he said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Read it out loud with me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I stay hungry and I stay thirsty, but I stay hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness, for the things of God. So I pray for my purpose. I pursue that purpose. I ask God to protect that purpose at all costs. It's crazy to me because a lot of people want to chase their own purpose and then they try to get God to bless it. God, will you bless what I'm doing? Let, let, let me give you a secret. Stop praying God bless what I'm doing and start doing what God is blessing. His will for my life. His will for my life. God has a purpose. Listen, God's purpose for your life 
is the reason you were born. It isn't even about what you do for a living. A lot of times we confuse what we do for a living as our, that's not your purpose. Your purpose is the reason God created you. And your purpose ultimately is to make an impact on this earth. It's not about you. It's about everybody else. And the sooner you get a hold of that, the sooner your life will be fulfilled. That this life is not actually about fulfilling my needs, my desires, my wants. It's about fulfilling other people's needs, wants. It's about giving them my savior. God's will. Have you ever thought about God's will? Because I think that many unanswered prayers are unanswered because your will does not line up with God's will. Let, let, let me expand. You say, God, would you open this door for me? God, I'm asking you to blow this door open. God, I need this opportunity. God, would you open this door? But God knows that opening that door will destroy your life. God, give me this money. God, I want this money. I need a windfall. I need a, I need a, God, blow up my business. God, give me so much. God, I will build Impact Church's new arena. I promise you. I cross my heart. Hope I don't die. Stick a needle in my eye. God, I'm going to give you. God knows if that money came into your possession, that your heart might grow cold for him. See, I, I pray, say, God, get me out of this situation. You ever prayed that? Anybody ever prayed that? God, get me out of this mess I got myself into? But see, God knows that the situation keeps you close to him. He knows that. And I've said this before, I'm not the first person to say this or the only person to say this, but God is more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. And God is more interested in your holiness than he is your happiness. He wants you to grow. He wants you to align. Listen, the mature, the mature believer aligns with the will of God. We don't even know what it means to be blessed. Have you ever been around somebody that they closed a big deal? They closed a deal. You're a real estate agent. You're a broker. If I wasn't a pastor, I would be a real estate guy. Because it's like a legal way to make the most money you could possibly make in the world. Like, sure, I'll do that $2 million home and walk away with a couple hundred grand. I mean, why not? You know what I'm saying? Like. This is what a lot of people say, it's not just, I'm sorry, I'm picking on the real estate agents, but it's not, it's, it's, it's everybody, it's everybody. It's, something good happens, you close the deal, God is good. Does that make God good? Is it, that's a nice freaking Bentley you got, God is good. Blessings, of, that's a blessing? So, a, so an earthly possession is what equates to the blessing of God? We are so confused about what God's blessing actually is. God's blessing is about fulfilling your purpose. It's about walking in his presence. It's about walking in his peace. The mature, the mature Christian prays, God, not my will, but your will be done. Do you guys remember the Lord's Prayer? How many of you said you were recovering Catholics? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. Y'all know the Lord's Prayer. You learned that while you were in your mommy's tummy. The Lord's Prayer. Je Jesus talked. So one day his disciples come up and they go, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They say, wait. He said, teach us how to pray. Does any word stand out of that sentence? Teach us how to pray. Then Jesus goes on and, and he starts to tell them. He says, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to pray then. And Jesus, before he teaches them how to pray, before he teaches them how to pray, he tells him, he said, this is how you should pray. He didn't say this is what you should pray. Now, now I'm just, this is important because he's, this is how. He gives us a template, a model. Somebody say template. Yeah. 
He gives us a template, right? It, he, he didn't say recite this prayer over and over like a robot until you die. No, why? why? He said this is how, because this is a model. Let's go through the model. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, some of you Catholics said die. Just right out of there, you said thy name. <laughs> hallowed be your name. Now, now, now what, is he, what is he saying? What do you mean this is how, what's the timeless principle? What principle do we pull out of this first phrase of his model? He said, hallowed be your name, which means your name is holy, holy, holy. That's the principle. I go to God in prayer and I say, God, you are holy. God, you are amazing. You are so good to me. You've been better to me than I've been to myself. God, I am so grateful for your goodness. You are incredible. You are all powerful. You are almighty. God, you are holy. It's, it's, it's a principle, right? It's not like some people are so stuck on the ritual. If you're married, I'm married. I've been married for 23 years. If you're married, marriage is a relationship, yes? Okay, it's a relationship. The relationship with Jesus is a relationship. It's not a ritual. It's a relationship, right? But imagine me waking up every morning and saying the same thing to Natalie every day for 23 years. Good morning, Natalie. I love you. You're beautiful. You are godly and sexy AF, right, every day. I know some of you, this is the first time at this church, and you're like, my God, this dude's not even saved. I gotta find a different place. But I just told you, Peter cursed, so I felt like I could use the initials, so. And then the next day I wake up and I go, good morning, Natalie, you're beautiful. And I just said the same thing every day. You are beautiful, you are godly. You're sexy. Next day, you're beautiful. You're godly. You're sexy. Good morning, Natalie. You're beautiful. You're godly. You're good morning, Natalie. You're good. Like, would that be weird? But that's what a lot of us do with God. It's like our Father. Like we're in a trance or something. Like it means nothing. We're just saying the words. Our Father, which art in heaven, how to be in the name, kingdom come, there will be done. Earth is in heaven. Like, it's a relationship. And I'm not saying if you pray that, it's fine. But like, it's hard to keep the heart in re reciting it's easy to keep the heart in realness in the relationship and just talking talking so it gives us this model so let's let's move through it he says your kingdom come your thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today i'm reading from the new international version y'all want me to flip over to the king of jameth let me know he said Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Okay, wait, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, what is he saying? A lot of people recite that, they don't even know what it means. Like, Lord, I don't want to go to fries. Can you throw a loaf of bread in my pantry? Like, man, you're the God of the impossible. I need the gluten out too, Lord, please. No, give us this day our daily bread is about what? Provision. God's my provider. God, you're my provider. Body, soul, spirit. You are my provider. Then he goes on and he says, and forgive us our debts. What does that mean? He's like, man, Lord, I racked up that MasterCard. Like, if you could just make it go to zero, man, that would be so helpful, Lord. Like, swipe that thing. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the debt of sin. Forgive me of my sins. And then he goes on as we forgive our debtors. It's like if somebody owes you 10 grand, he's not like, yeah, just let it go. No, you're forgiving them of when they've done you wrong, when they did you dirty, when they hurt you, when they betrayed you, I'm forgiving them even when I don't feel like I want to forgive them because God forgave me. Then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, what I love about Jesus is that Jesus didn't just mention stuff. He modeled it. He modeled it. So... Again, the night before his crucifixion, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's stressed out. He knows what's about to go down. 
He knows what tomorrow is going to bring. He knows the pain, the torture, the agony, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the mockery that's about to go down. I want to read you Luke 22 because this is what he says. It says, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. And he knelt down and he prayed and he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, listen, I've been stressed out before, but I have never been that stressed. He's sweating blood. God, I know what you're asking me to do, Father God, but if there is any other way, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. If there's any other way, God, can there be another way? Yet, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, not my will be done, even though I have to go through this. I want your will to be done. And guess what? There was no other way. That was the way. Because Jesus had to pay the price for our sins. And that price for that debt to be cleared cost him his life. Would you bow your heads with me and let's close in prayer. Father, today we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. We thank you for your power. We thank you for the weapons that you've given us to be more than conquerors. We thank you for the weapons you've given us, the weapon of prayer. Lord, as the disciples prayed, we pray the same. Teach us how to pray. God, teach us. Put a fire inside of us to become prayer warriors, intercessors, praying on behalf of others. God, fill us with your spirit. God, I pray for a fresh fire and a baptism of your Holy Spirit in our church family. God, however that manifests itself, we are good with that. God, that you would do a great work in us. And God, as we allow the infilling of the Holy Spirit into our souls, we will never be the same again because the power of the Holy Spirit is the difference. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.